Well, if you've been with us uh, for these past uh, few years, really since I've been here, um, you'll note from the, the teachings we've done, I've done on the Gospels that in his ministry, Jesus does a few things. Uh, first, he works miracles or signs that are meant to point us toward uh, heavenly realities. And because these are miraculous events, they show us that those things are really real. He teaches. He often tells parables. And he also gives people the opportunity to show their faith in him. And if you read the Gospels, you'll know that people don't always rise to the challenge. Often it's the people you expect are going to be able to, to do that, don't rise to the challenge. But when people do, Jesus pays attention and he draws attention to it. When he encounters people with great faith in him, he puts the spotlight on them because he wants people to see what faith looks like. And we continue to read these stories for the same reason. We all know that we need to have faith in God if we're Christians. You know, if we're a Christian, you know that that means that our sins are forgiven. We have hope in eternal life because we have faith in God, because we put our trust in God. But that's often a very kind of internal thing. We often talk about faith in our heart or faith because we believe in our minds. But so sometimes it leaves us wondering, what is faith actually, what is someone who has true faith, what does their life really look like? What does faith look like in real life? Not just in theory, but in practice. This, by the way, was the only way that I was ever able to learn uh, any kind of math in high school. And of course, I promptly forgot it. But at the time, it was like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why things worked the way they did. Um, so my teacher just had to be, look, let me just show you. <laughs> and he shows to see how it works out. It was the only way I could learn how to play piano, by the way. Still can't read music. Um, every single time I would frustrate my teacher so much because she would try to teach me the theory. And I would say, can you just play it? <laughs> and she would just play it, and then I could play it right back to her. I, was at least, I at least had that ear. Um, so it was at least something. It got me through the recitals, and I could play in church, but that, that was about it. But the point is to say that sometimes we can only really understand what something is, what something's like, if we see it in practice. And our faith may be inside of us, but the gospel, the whole Bible is very clear that our faith is always meant to show on the outside. Our faith may be inside, but it shows on the outside. And the story of this Canaanite woman is an example, a perfect example, an exemplar of a faith that is real. So as we'll see, this is why Jesus puts the spotlight on her. But let's start with exactly who she is. Let's look at the scripture here. Um, it says that Jesus went away and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon is a region um, where Jews, it's not a Jewish region. This is a Gentile region, right? So, and the woman is not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. Gentile, by the way, just means not Jewish, if you're, if you're, if you're following along. Unless you uh, we're, you know, born into a Jewish family here. All of us are probably Gentiles to some, for, of some stripe or another. So Jesus goes near the Gentile region, but he does not enter it. And the scripture says, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. So let's stop there. This is really important stuff. So first of all, 
The woman is a Canaanite. And it's not just that she's a Gentile. The scripture actually um, uh, pinpoints that she is a Canaanite. And if you have read any of the Old Testament, you know that the Canaanites, so those that were the, uh, the Gentiles in the land of Canaan, were, these were the people that were originally driven out of the Holy Land, of the Promised Land, in you know, the book of Joshua, you see this happen. These are people who are, uh, have pagan religion and they do all kinds of evil things. So the Lord, in giving the promised land to his people, his chosen people of Israel, he says, drive them out of the land. And that's what happens. So this woman is a descendant of these people. This woman is a Canaanite. And this puts her at the very, very bottom of, the, of esteem in the eyes of the Jews at this time. Uh, She would have been regarded as ritually unclean, ritually unclean. So that means that the Jews all around would have refused to even eat with her. Um, Not only that, she's also a woman by herself. This is actually really important because in the ancient world, women by themselves had very little rights, very few options. This, uh, remember when Jesus meets the woman at the well, his disciples are astonished that he's even talking to her. Because she's a Canaanite, because she's a woman by herself, in the eyes and the standards of the ancient world, she would have been someone that most people just would not have even uh, thought of as someone that you should even notice, okay? So, because of that, on the flip side... Um, this is someone who also would have every right to feel uh, resentful <laughs> to some degree um, but of, of, of Jews and the standards of her time. Um, and, but instead, we see actually something really important about who she is and what her attitude is from the get-go. It says, she came out. She came out. So this is very, very important. Um, she's there in the region of Tyre and Sidon. She's in the Gentile region. She's, you know, among her own people. She's in her comfort zone. But she comes out and she follows Jesus. That means she has left her country. She has left her people. She has left her comfort zone. And she has gone out to seek healing from Jesus. She's coming onto Israel's turf in order to be Healed, And not only that, she addresses him with this really important title, son of David, son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Everything that she's doing and the way that she's approached him has uh, been, is 100% humble. And she's approached him in an amazing amount of humility. She's actually dropped any kind of self-respect that she might have uh, she might have uh, attempted to retain, and she's going to her, uh, her people's kind of ancestral enemies, Messiah, confessing him as the Messiah from God and asking him for healing. So this woman has just, she's put herself out there in so many ways. She's put herself out there. Um, she's left her comfort zone. She's, she's, she's completely alone and by herself, and she's asking God for healing. She's left all kind of, um, she's left all decorum. She's left any kind of, of, of self-respect in order to go after God. 
So let's see how Jesus treats her. He treats her in a very surprising way, a very surprising way, shocking even to us today. Um, the first thing that happens in verse 23 is that it says that Jesus did not answer her a word. He does not answer her. And it's only even after his disciples come to him and beg him saying, look, this, this lady is getting really annoying. She is yelling after you. It's just, please send her away. Okay. Don't even grant what she asked. Just get her out of here, please. She's, she's, she's cramping our style. Even after that, Jesus uh, does not have mercy on her. He says, uh, he says, I, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does this mean? Um, the idea here that Jesus is talking about is that God's chosen his mission to the world. It's actually, we see this throughout the gospels, throughout the new Testament. It's God's chosen people that must be brought the good news first. And then after that, the gospel will go out to all of the world. Remember Matthew 28, 19, he's after he's died and resurrected. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's coming. Jesus knows that that's coming, but it's not here yet. It's a little bit like this. It's like, you know, on an airplane, when they say, you know, in the unlikely event of an emergency and the oxygen masks drop, fit your own oxygen mask over your mouth first and then help your child, right? And the idea is there's really not going to be anyone to help if you don't take care of yourself first and then you can help your child. This is kind of how it is with Israel, God's chosen people in the world. But that's definitely not going to make her feel any better, right? She's still in this completely desperate place, crying after Jesus. People are trying to send her away. Jesus doesn't send her away, but he does. He doesn't say anything. And then he says, you know what? I really am not called to her right now. But the woman continues to persist. And not only that, but then Jesus finally does address her. He answers her finally, but he says something really offensive. Offensive. He answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So let's just pause right there. Why would Jesus, who we know from the rest of the Bible as someone who is, cares for the poor, for the lowly, someone who's always telling people not to forget the oppressed or the outcast, why would he say this? Why is he calling her a dog and affirming that the Jews around here who don't really like her are the, the chosen children? Well, first of all, we should note this, that dog he is actually probably a very common uh, anti-Gentile slur, by the way. This is something she would have been called before. Maybe she's already being called this in this crowd of Jews. Um, you should also know that Jesus says, he doesn't just say dog, he says little dog, more like kind of like literally like puppy. Um, so there's reason to think that there's maybe just a, a little bit of affection in it even now, but it's still patronizing at best. So if you're this woman, how are you going to be thinking of Jesus at this point? Why is Jesus doing this? Let's pause right there. This is really, really critical to understanding this woman's faith and what it means to be a model of faith. Remember that Jesus never does anything 
without pointing to a broader truth, a broader reality, a broader purpose. He always, everything he does, he wants everyone around him and us as well reading this, this gospel to, to see something greater. He wants us to understand it. What is it? By doing this, by piling on in this way, by ratcheting up the tension, as I hope I've done, he wants us, what does he want us to hear? He wants us to hear the woman's response. He wants us to hear what she's about to say. By saying what he says, he's sort of, he's probably kind of intentionally repeating just the kind of prejudice and treatment she would have already, she would have probably already experienced surrounded by this crowd. People who think she's unclean and unworthy. And it's kind of like what he's done is he's handed her the microphone. He said, what what are you going to say? How are you going to respond? And then she says this. She says, yes, Lord. Yet he says, remember, it's not right for you, a dog, to take the, the food from the children. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So first of all, she's very clever. That's a really good comeback. But it's kind of like the opposite of why we, we try to, we, we think about, you know, what the best comeback is. Like when I think of if someone's ever like insulted me or slighted me, it's usually like I'll spend days thinking about, you know, what I should have said. And then I would have been the man, right? I would have been like, I really, everyone would have been like, ooh. And then I would have been very well respected. And my status would have been restored. I just, you know, nights thinking about that, you know. But she actually gives the perfect comeback, but for the opposite reason. It actually affirms her, her lowly status as being in last place and is even willing to give the, you know, the, the chosen children status to all the people around her that don't like her. She's willing to say, oh, I don't mind if I'm in last place. I mean, with God, there's enough to go around, isn't there? I'll wait my turn. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's see what this amazing response, what this amazing woman says about faith in action. Remember, what does faith look like when it's actually lived out in a life? This is what it looks like. What is this woman willing to do? The first thing she's willing to do is let go of her status. She's willing to let go of her status. She does not have to be in first place. She willingly takes the back seat. It is not a condition for her of receiving from God that she also receives worldly honor. As long as she can receive healing from God, that's enough for her. She doesn't ask for any recognition. This is a big contrast to the Jews of that time around her, who Jesus is always going after, always castigating for being so jealous of their status as the chosen children of God. They hold it over people. They lord it over people. He's constantly trying to tell them, stop doing that. The other thing she does, she doesn't even claim any any victim status either. This is something that happens sometimes these days. It's like if I am kind of like, if, if, if if I have been disadvantaged, if I am living a hard life, then you know what? I can kind of turn that into sort of a social currency as well. She doesn't do any of that either. In doing this, She's actually started to, she probably didn't even mean to, but she's actually started to look like Jesus. Because when Jesus 
who is God, took on flesh in the incarnation. He profoundly lowered his status, unimaginably so. For much of his ministry, Jesus even gets no recognition for this. People don't understand that he is truly God incarnate, even though he keeps telling them. People just have no context for this. They just, they just don't recognize this in him. He has no earthly recognition for who he is while he's on earth. And in doing this and giving this response, she actually becomes a picture of the incarnation, letting go of worldly status in order to simply be fully receiving from God. By the way, that's what a healing really means. You know, she's asking uh, for healing for her daughter, for sure. But really what it means is that she's actually asking to receive from God. She wants her, her daughter, her whole life to be connected to the Lord and no one else. Second, she allows herself to be unfairly treated. I kind of think this is actually what's behind how Jesus treats her. He does this on purpose. She walks into a group of people who do not care about her. The disciples tell Jesus to send her away. And then after, this is after Jesus, he says nothing to her. Almost looks like he's playing along with the crowd, right? He makes her come after him. And he does not give her any cheerleading or any consolation in this moment. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does this mean? Taking up the cross, which is a requirement for us as disciples, requirement for those who profess faith in Jesus, taking up the cross means that we'll find ourselves in situations where we're going to be going through a, a part, even a small part of what Jesus went through on the cross, participating in his suffering. These crosses are never easy in our lives. And sometimes it can even feel like Jesus is silent as we bear them, like we aren't receiving the answer or the comfort or the acknowledgement, you know, at least acknowledgement that we feel like we need in order to get through it. Like the Canaanite woman running after Jesus in the crowd and he's silent and he hasn't turned around yet. God takes us through these times in our lives sometimes. He really does. What you need to know is that God has never, just like this woman, Jesus has never, ever forgotten about you. He hears you. But it could be that he wants something greater for your life. It could be that he is actually putting you through this so that he can set you up as a model of faith. So don't read this story and lose heart. Paul talks about this constantly. He talks about how his sufferings and his rejection before men, it's actually a privilege. That's like his CV. That's his resume as a Christian. Look how rejected I have been before men. Look how much I have suffered. And that's what God says about Paul. I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my, my, my name. And Paul, call, he calls it all joy. He says in Colossians, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Remember, Jesus does not call us slaves or servants. 
He calls us friends, partners in what he does. And his great act of going to the cross, that redemptive suffering, we share with him in this as well. That's what active faith looks like. That's what it looks like to see faith on the outside. She also returns insult with a blessing. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think this is a perfect example of this. This is the kind of follower Jesus wants to showcase to his disciples and to the crowd around him because then Jesus completely reverses it. He calls attention to her and says, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now understand what has happened. You know, the kind of boring part earlier that I told you about how Israel comes first and the Gentiles come later. This is actually, Jesus makes an exception. He gives her the healing she desires ahead of time, beforehand, like a foretaste of what's to come because of her great faith. He says, he also describes her faith as great. Think of this in contrast with how he often is describing his disciples' faith. O ye of little faith, right? And compared to that, this is the woman who has shown great faith. Jesus is saying, this is how I want my chosen people to act. Be like her. Why? Because she's being like me. So he grants her request. Even though he's missionist to Israel, he makes this exception. And the Canaanite woman, in a way, I really like learning about her because she really is, you know, you know how uh, in a lot of traditions, you know, in the, the Catholic tradition and other traditions, there's a, a big emphasis on, the, on, the, on the, the character of Mary, symbol of Mary, right? It comes from the idea that Mary, in a sense, is sort of the mother of the church, right? She bears Jesus into the world, just like the church bears Jesus into the world. Well, I always kind of look at this Canaanite woman and think, man, she's kind of like the mother of the Gentile church in a special way, isn't she? She's one of us. She comes out of her land. She comes out of her comfort zone. And actually, just as we see in, in Paul's reading, she, in the, the Romans reading this morning, she's willing to uh, be grafted in to the tree of Israel, even though Israel is the one uh, that has actually been against her people in the past. She's willing to drop all of that animosity and go after her. That's kind of, she's kind of like our mother in a, in a way, isn't she? It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to be like her. Because this is no less a message to us, the church today, as it was to the Jews around Jesus at that time, because we are the new Israel after all. We have to be willing to put Jesus over status, Jesus over status. And we're going to be finding ourselves in times in our life where we really can't have both. Sometimes, we, sometimes it, it rocks along fine and we kind of have that. We have uh, status before men and faith in God, but sometimes it's one or the other. And when that time comes, we need to be like this Canaanite woman, be willing to drop all of that. It's a little bit uh, like uh, marriage. Being a Christian believer means um, it's like marriage. You know, Paul talks about marriage as being an, an image of Christ in his church, and he does it for this reason. You know, when we, uh, when we come to, to get married, we say, forsaking all others will be faithful to this person. And marriage very often, you know, for a years, it can rock along pretty normal, but there are moments when it can be really intense and there are real tests of marriage. And that commitment to your spouse is tested, right? 
It's in those moments especially that we really see the real bond and the true, uh, the true love, the real eternal and abiding love that has brought these people together in the first place. It's not in the good times. It's actually in the hard times. In the Canaanite woman, we have this model for faith that all of us are called to, being willing to put ourselves in last place. And she's put herself in a position where really her faith in God is all that she's hanging on to. I wonder if you identify with that in your life in some way. Maybe it's in a time past. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's in a time yet to come. But when I was a kid, I remember I went to camp. I went to Christian camp and they just kind of like inundated us with t-shirts and stuff um, and like slogans and things like that, WWJD and, you know, uh, like bracelets and things. We can always kind of be having reminders of who we are as Christians. Big thing in the 90s. Um, but I really remember actually one of them. Uh, there was this t-shirt. I kind of rolled my eyes at a lot of them. I have to admit, I wasn't a very, I wasn't a, I I was not always a very willing believer, but there was one that always stuck with me and it showed a picture of a rock climber, you know, um, and he's just like, you know, hanging on. And it said, faith isn't faith until it's all you're hanging on to. And I think there's something true in that. Why does God put us through these times? Why doesn't he always immediately turn around and acknowledge us and give us the, 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 give us the, the, the recognition or even sometimes give us the consolation and comfort that we just feel that we so desperately need coming from him? Why does he wait on that? I think it's for this reason. He wants us to know that our faith is like a pearl of great price. We'll be willing to sell all that we have, get rid of all that we have in order to go after it and buy it. There are moments in our life actually when we may not even know that we're doing it, but he's calling us to be models of great faith, right? The kind of recognition that the Lord wants to give his people is the kind that shows that really our faith is our faith because it is all that we are hanging on to. It's in those times and in those places that, you know, I, as your pastor, um, I really want to know and hear about these times when you're going through them. Trust me, I I really love it when you come to me and, and share with me because it's really my job to, you know, accompany you through these dry seasons, these times. Um, don't feel like you have to be going through it alone. But know also that however frustrating and, and, and difficult it can be, everything that the Lord does for you, he has not forgotten you. He knows you. He has written the steps of your life. And it could be that he's bringing you through a dry time so that he can hold you up as an example of great faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we just, we pray and and come before you just humbly and honestly this morning, um, letting you know, Lord, that sometimes there's painful and difficult and dry and suffering times in our lives. And Lord, sometimes we're tempted to lose heart and to give up. Um, Father, we ask that you would give us uh, that great faith that we need to be able to be sustained through them. Help us to remember, Lord, that you've never, ever forgotten us. Lord, that you call us actually to be partners with you in the sufferings that you went through, Father. Um, Lord, help that light, that light of a true faith really lived out to shine before men. Um, and Lord, at the last, we just ask that you would welcome us into that, that everlasting comfort, and that everlasting consolation that we are always chasing after in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.